Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman, and we have a good episode today on some research updates that we haven't talked about in a while. Um, One involving injections, um, using the injection system in trees to help them uh, battle the effects of HLB, and some updated uh, results and information on the um, protective bags that are being used, especially for young citrus. We will get to all that in a minute, but first, as always, we are joined by Dr. Michael Rogers. Uh, Dr. Rogers, uh, first and foremost, I I hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, yes, Taylor. I've had a good time with family, and uh, it's good to get to see some folks, uh, family members we haven't seen in a while. So uh, definitely enjoyed the holiday season. Very good. We are looking at 2022 now officially in the new season. And, uh, you know, there's been some reports out there and things are a little tough right now. I know we want to remain optimistic, but uh, it, it, is, it is looking a little tough for the industry when you're looking at yields probably being down again and uh, prices are a little challenging right now. It's just kind of a tough time, right? Uh, yeah, so yeah, we've uh, seen reports continue to come out um, with the expectations of, of lowered yields, uh, slightly lower each time. And so and, and that and you look at what all's happening, uh, you know, COVID's really, really thrown us a curveball in terms of um, prices, uh, prices for the inputs that we we're using on our groves. Um, so it, it's really made it tougher for the average grower to break even. And so that that's been I think that's weighing on everybody's mind. And um, I think it's something as an industry that, you know, we can't ignore. It's out there. But, uh, you know, we do have a resilient group of growers who continue to move forward. And so we we try to remain upbeat and optimistic as much as we can. Yeah, resilient is the key word there. You guys are resilient as well. The work continues. One of the things that we've been talking about and focusing on for you guys is is getting tools to growers that can help them now. That's been the big focus is let's get them through this tough time. But that's your guys' goal right now, right? Is let's get some tools out now that the growers can use to help them get through this. Yes, that, that's correct. And I, I feel like I keep saying that. I've been saying that for years now. We were going to do stuff now that, you you know, it's a, it's a difficult time now. You need things you can use now. And and it just seems like even with the news lately, it's even more important to, to make sure that the research we're doing, we can uh, deliver that and, you know, that growers can get tidbits of things they can, you know, put to practice in their groves now um, as they try to, to improve their management programs, but stay uh, cost effective. You guys have some events coming up where you're going to have a lot of this information. Uh, can you run through some of those? Uh, yes, there, there's a number of, of events uh, just over the next couple of months. Um, of course, the big one at the end of this month is the Florida Citrus Show that takes place in Fort Pierce, uh, January 26th through 27th. Uh, that's always a good event uh, hosted by the folks over on the east coast of Florida at the IPIS facility over in Fort Pierce in conjunction with the Indian River Citrus League. Um, you know, after that, uh, we've got um, in February, on February the 8th, uh, here at the CREC in Lake Alfred, we have a, a workshop that's focusing on citrus irrigation and nutrient management, which are both really timely topics. We're talking about managing the health of, of HLB disease trees. Um, there is a registration and a fee required for that uh, that covers all the, the refreshments and the, and the publications and books that you'll be getting through that. Um, 
And then uh, February 22nd, also at the CREC, we have uh, another one of our fruit display days. Our, our plant improvement group uh, will be hosting that fruit display beginning at 10 a.m. over in Ben Hill Griffin Hall at the CREC. And again, it's a chance for growers to come out and sample some of the new varieties coming out of IFAS. Um, again, these are more later season varieties. Some of the oranges especially are focused on this time of year. So that, that'll be of interest to folks. And, and also that same day uh, for the processing or the post-harvest side of our industry. Uh, we once again have uh, our Flavor Summit that's being hosted February 22nd through the 24th. And that event is actually virtual this year um, for the most part. And I say for the most part, there is going to be a, a social uh, the evening of February 22nd for people who registered for the meeting. If they happen to be in the area, they can come over to Lake Alfred that evening uh, for a social event we'll be hosting. Uh, but otherwise, the, the remainder of that that uh, flavor summit uh, will be held virtual. So it allows folks um, maybe who can't travel from overseas to be able to participate and interact with folks, um, again, in a, in a more virtual format. It's a lot of stuff going on. You guys are hitting 2022 hard, it sounds like. Um, you guys have a, all online that growers can go check out, right? Yes. And uh, on our websites, uh, a lot of these events are listed. Also, for growers who receive our uh, IFAS statewide citrus newsletter. Um, th these events I just mentioned and, and others I didn't mention are also listed um, at the end of that newsletter in the upcoming event. So I encourage folks to take a look at that. And, and if you're available to try to attend some of these events and hopefully pick up some, some new information or refresh your memory on things that might be of use for you now in your operations. You guys put out a ton of information that I know is helping growers in the industry now. And to, to help you guys with that, you are looking at um, bolstering the team a little bit. You've got a couple uh, um, new positions you're looking at. Uh, yes. And um, uh, we've, we're in the process right now of recruiting. Uh, this is at the uh, Fort Pierce, the Indian River Research and Education Center on the east coast of Florida. They're in the process of recruiting an assistant professor of citrus horticulture. So that person will be working on um, you know, production practices especially for grapefruit, but, uh, but all citrus um, uh, here in Florida. And uh, we're also in the process of, of recruiting um, a new center director at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee. And that, that'll be important, especially for folks down the southwest part of the state. Uh, there's a lot of citrus research done down there at that station. And so uh, there'll be, um, uh, you'll be hearing more about the recruitment process and interview process. And for both of these positions, there will be opportunities uh, for growers to sit in on seminars, learn more about the candidates, and provide your feedback as we make decisions on who we're going to bring in for, for, the, for the future uh, of citrus research here at, at IFAS. It's exciting to hear about some new team members coming on board, and we'll, we'll hear some from some current team members here in just a minute. But as always, we thank you, Dr. Michael Rogers, for the information and the update, and uh, we're excited to see you this year. All right. Thank you, Taylor. We're now joined by assistant professor and citrus horticulturist Fernando Alvarez. Fernando, thank you for joining me. We're going to talk about a, a very interesting topic to growers right now, which is the protective covers. It's something you've been looking at for a little while. You had a several-year trial that has just wrapped up, and you guys have some interesting results. Talk to me about how, what you guys were looking at here in this trial. Yes, hello, uh, and thanks for having me. Yes, this, this trial actually started in uh, February 2018, and we were interested in, in, in assessing the, the, 
the effectivity of this of this uh, individual protective covers or IPCs uh, in terms of uh, protecting newly planted citrus trees in the field against a psyllid infestation and, and HLB. That was our original our original in, intention with this project. Very good. So you guys kind of ran this side by side with some other uh, trees. You put the covers on some young trees, but ran it alongside with trees that did not have covers. And you guys had some very interesting results between the two. Yes. Uh, what we saw is that the, the what we call the control trees, the trees that were not covered from the very beginning, uh, 80% of them were HLB positive by six months. Uh, and by one year, all of them were testing uh, positive for HLB. Uh, in contrast, uh, none of the trees that were covered by IPCs uh, were testing positive. So the, the, the covers were protecting all the trees from, from HLB infection. I mean, it makes sense. That's the goal of these protective covers is they keep the pest, they keep the psyllids off of the trees at these early stages. Uh, yes, and actually we didn't find any single psyllids in, in those trees that were covered uh, by the by the IPCs. That's exciting. Um, did you guys see anything when it comes to when the trees finally got to the point to where they were producing? Um, were there any findings on quality? Uh, yes, this was really interesting. Uh, we had our first harvest last last February. Uh, these trees were uh, three years old, and they were producing the the first crop, and we found two two interesting things. The first thing is that the the yield was much higher under the under the covers. We are talking here about uh, Valencia's uh, grafted on Cleopatra rootstock, and what we found was that. Uh, Trees that were not covered and that were infected from the beginning, uh, we had a 60% of fruit drop. So there was a 60% of, of reduction in yield. But the trees that were covered from the beginning, we didn't, we didn't see any fruit drop. So there was a, a, an increase in production in these trees. Most interestingly was the, was the quality of the fruit. Talking about uh, bricks, uh, the fruit that were coming from the trees that were covered, uh, the bricks was uh, 10.9, which is really good considering that we were harvesting in early February. 10.9 as compared to the fruit coming from the trees that were exposed to the psyllids from the beginning, so the trees that were not covered. In this case, the, the, the bricks was 7.5. So there was a huge difference and a big improvement in, in fruit quality under the covers. That's an incredible difference. So um, Valencia's harvested in February. You had no fruit drop. Is that what you said? Yes. Not fruit drop at that wow. time. As compared to 60% of fruit drop in the trees that were not covered. Yeah. And then bricks levels difference was 10.9 in the ones that were covered and 7.5 in the ones that were uncovered. Those those yep. are incredible results. Yes, we I mean we were really surprised uh, because because the difference is huge. But but looking at the trees, how different they were, 
uh, we were expecting we were expecting a difference in both in yield and quality because the trees that were covered by the by the IPCs performed much better than the trees that were uncovered. Uh, they had larger canopies, they had better, bigger, larger leaves uh, as compared to the, to the trees that were not covered. So we were expecting to have more fruit and better quality, but, but these numbers were, were really, really surprising. So we were really, really encouraged by this, and we are we are monitoring the the quality this year again to see if we can uh, maintain this 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 trend in better quality. Even though the, the 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 trees are not covered anymore, but to see if this if this initial uh, advantage that the covers are providing to the trees if this initial advantage can be maintained over the years. Yeah, yeah. Because um, at some point you have to uncover them. But you guys, you guys yeah. switch the bags out for different sizes and stuff. But this is this is looking to see if that advantage in those first few years can be carried on for a little while and how long that will last. That advantage will last once you do uncover them. Yes, that's absolutely right. We know now that. By 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 one year after uncovering the trees, we 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 still have a good effect of the covers, but we don't know how for how long this this effect will will be maintained. Yeah. So that's that's what what we want to know. Good. That's exciting. It's it's good to know that this is going to move on too, even after some incredible results. Moving on further with that, sticking on the topic of reducing fruit drop, you have another uh, project you're working on where you saw some pretty encouraging numbers too, and this is um, with some treatments in the field on hamlins, correct? Yes. Uh, we started to do this, this research three years ago, and um, what we did was to to treat the, the trees, hamlin uh, trees in, uh, of mature age, products that are available for growers now and that they can use and that they are relatively inexpensive, like uh, zinc and potassium. Uh, so we, we were doing a foliar sprays of both products and the combination of both, zinc and potassium. And, and we started to monitor a fruit drop and and yield. So we started three years ago. First year we didn't see much difference, but last year we started to see a better better yield, especially with the treatment that combines zinc and potassium. And this year, that is the third year, we we just got the results before Christmas. And this year we, we, we are having actually a, a real difference in terms of yield improvement after zinc and potassium treatment. And that yield improvement is what you're saying is the, the fruit staying on the tree. You have less fruit drop. Yes, we are having less fruit drop. We, we, are, we, are, we are having 20% less fruit drop after the treatments that we are doing. And we think that we can even improve this 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 result 
Yeah, this is a foliar application you're doing, and yes. you think you can improve it, and and it would actually reduce the cost too by what you're talking about improving it, right? Yes, yes, because the 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 way that that we designed it, this designed these treatments is that we did uh, three different treatments. We treated in June, in August, and in October, and. Actually, we, we found less fruit drop after the June and the October treatment, but we found a more fruit drop after the August treatment. Now, the thing is that we, we were not expecting that, so, so we, we harvested just once. So what we have seen is that uh, the, the treatment in August is masking the good results of the treatments in June and in October. And the June one was the, the best one. So we are thinking that probably only one application in June will improve the, the yield uh, in response to this, this treatment because, because then we will be, we will be removing uh, less effective treatments down the year, like the the August and the October one. So we are we are thinking that probably just one application will be enough to get even better results than a twenty percent reduction in fruit drop. Again, uh, assistant professor, UFIFIS and citrus horticulturist uh, Fernando Alfres. Thank you so much. Exciting information, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. We now welcome in Uta Albrecht, plant physiologist at UF IFAS. Uh, Uta, last time we talked, um, we talked about one of your sessions and one of your presentations, but w your main focus right now has been um, trunk injection and some of the research you guys are doing there. Before we get into some of the updates and what's going on with that, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, let's, let's talk about the process and what you guys are experimenting with. Yeah, hi Taylor, thank you for inviting me. So um, yeah, I have been working on trunk injections for a couple of years now. I have uh, We have one grant project in place that was awarded through USDA NIFA and um, where we examine the process of trunk injection as a possible delivery method uh, to deliver therapies uh, to cure um, or mitigate the negative effects of HLB. The problem with HLB is that the associated pathogen lives in the vasculature of the citrus trees, um, which is the phloem in this case. This is what makes it so difficult to treat the disease. So any potential HLB therapies that are being applied as foliar sprays are likely, um, are very unlikely to move through the thick leaf cuticle and to reach the phloem where the bacteria reside. So trunk injection to deliver therapies directly into the vasculature of a tree maybe much more effective got it so it kind of it kind of the disease kind of clogs the system and and getting the um treatment into the tree is the challenge at that point. yeah so um trunk injection is usually some um, um used um, in forestry so ornamental uh, um, plants to treat vascular diseases and mostly these are vas uh, vascular diseases of the xylem. The HLB pathogen is located in the phloem. The phloem is a very thin or narrow strip in the inner bark of a tree trunk and um, we cannot directly 
inject anything into the flow. It's just not possible, not at least not large um, molecule, uh, large volumes of molecules. So we have to inject into the xylem, and the advantage of the xylem is, it uh, the xylem uh, consists of um, woody. Um, long tubular cells which in, in which water and nutrients move and they move passively with a, a transpiration stream so if we inject materials into the xylem they move um, on on their own um, systemically throughout the tree and what we are hoping is that on their way through the tree these um, injected compounds can then move from the xylem to the phloem on their way to the tree Makes sense. And uh, as we were talking about beforehand, um, we're seeing some pretty good interest from the industry in this. You guys are seeing some interesting results too, right? Yes, we have been. um, Trunk injection is really nothing new. It has been um, uh, investigated in the 1970s and in recent years by, uh, by other researchers. But uh, and my part of the, the this first uh, grant that I'm involved in um, right now was to investigate tree effects. So we used oxytetracycline as a, a model uh, material to see um, how trunk injection works and what effect it has on the trees. And in our studies, and um, these were field studies here at our um, at our center in Immokalee, we actually found some tremendously positive results. And I have to say I was skeptical initially, but we found um, really good results. Not only were we able to reduce the bacterial titer levels um, measurably, we were also able to um, improve the tree health. The trees look better. And most importantly, we were able to reduce the pre-harvest fruit drop tremendously. And all this was only through a one injection that was done um, once a year into the tree. So these results uh, were very um, encouraging. And um, we also found that the fruit had a much uh, better fruit quality, not only externally, but also internally. So the results from these study um, make it worthwhile to look into this um, delivery method a little more closely. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think the big one right there that I think is probably garnering a lot of the interest from the industry is reducing that fruit drop. That's the big one. Um, that's very interesting. Is is this the only thing you guys are testing in injection or are you guys looking at different, um, you know, things to put in there too? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm involved in, in two projects. And this first project where I'm studying the effects on the tree health, so we used oxytetracycline only as a model compound. And the main focus of this project is to develop um, an automated injection procedure because injecting by hand is not really economically feasible, especially not on a large scale in commercial um, groves. So this is the one part. Uh, in, in, and I was fortunate um, just uh, this year, recently, I got, uh, I'm, I'm part of a new grant that was awarded by USDA, USDA NIFA. And um, this grant um, aims to um, try to identify other novel molecules. We really do not want to use an antibiotic that is also used in human health to inject into the trees. So we're looking for other chemistries that are not used um, for human health and that are um, more acceptable by the consumer while having a a good efficacy. And um, in this new grant, um, we are screening, um, that's not my part, but that's the part by my colleagues in in Texas. Um, One of um, of those colleagues, he developed the hairy root system. 
this system is another system with which um, new molecules or lots of different chemistries can be um, um, screened and high, higher throughput. This was previously not possible because we can't we cannot obtain the HLB pathogen in pure culture. So this hairy root system allows the efficient screening of novel um, compounds. And um, once we identified um, effective um, molecules, we can then in a second step um, in greenhouse studies, we will um, examine these um, new molecules to test if they are mobile in the plant, just because that they can maybe kill the pathogen doesn't mean they may move in the plant. So this is also something that's to be considered. And once we identified um, their mobility and also if they have any potential negative um, phytotoxic effects on the plants, then the winners of these molecules will then go to me where I will test them um, in the field. So I will have some, um, ultimately some field uh, trials going on here in Florida and parallel field trials will also be conducted in Texas. That's exciting. Let's talk a little bit more about that uh, grant. Um, one of the bigger ones that was uh, uh, awarded, right? This is going to be a four-year study that you're doing with a bunch of different uh, institutions? Yeah, this grant was the um, only uh, four-year grant that was awarded this year. So I'm very um, excited to be involved in it. And um, I have um, there are other colleagues from Florida um, in Lake Alfred that are also in, involved um, in this grant. And um, so um, altogether, I think we're over 12 or 14 people. So it's a very large project uh, with very different aspects. And um, I'm very excited um, to work with all these people. Yeah, that is exciting. Um, you mentioned finding an automated system to do this because uh, doing it to a tree is just not uh, feasible. It's not something that growers are going to be able to do. And that was kind of my question was, is, you know, how long does this take? Uh, what's the process and, and, you know, is an automated system the only way that we're going to be able to do this on a mass production level? Yeah, so an automated system would obviously be ideal. And um, I know trunk injection is being used actually on a commercial scale in, in avocado tree production. There are about 20% of the commercial avocado acreage here in Florida is actually treated for laurel wilt, which is a xylem a limited um, a pathogen. And, and so they don't have an automated system, but they have developed a somewhat automated procedure with using people <laughs> to in inject the trees um, by hand. But um, if you're innovative enough, you can um, you can make it work. But we're hoping um, with this um, other grant uh, that uh, is ongoing for a few years now, together with our engineer here in, in Immokalee, that we are able to provide a better solution to make this process more automated. It's exciting. It's exciting that that many people are working on this after seeing the results already from just one of the compounds you guys are looking at. I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be the subject of a lot of your upcoming talks. Yes, yes. And I have already talked about it in the past. And um, so, but yeah, I'll... Uh, I would like to mention one last thing, um, something that we also need to be uh, considering when talking about trunk injection. Um, trunk injection can cause injury to the tree and um, some materials can also have uh, phytotoxic effects. Um, I already said that. Um, so there can be 
external injuries and internal injuries and um, in our field studies that we are conducting. So we at a point right now, we have um, some studies um, been going on for a year, some that have been going on for two years. So we are cutting down trees right now to measure and look at the um, um, inside of the tree trunk to assess um, if the damage is worth, you know, the benefits um, of the materials. And um, I also want to emphasize here that um, even though we have been using a commercially available oxytetracycline formulation to inject into the trees, currently um, oxytetracycline is not labeled for trunk injection in bearing citrus. Right. This is a study at this point. You guys yes, are not exactly. recommending anything at this point. No, no, we can't. Um, yeah. As the industry continues to talk more and more about this, are, are there some misconceptions out there? I think anything new, uh, you know, can prove to be problematic. Are there any con misconceptions out there about this? I think um, uh, one of the misconceptions that I'm aware of is that um, some people think we can inject um, materials into the phloem directly because this is where we want to uh, have the material move into, but this is not really possible, at least not in large volumes. So we really, when we inject, we inject into the xylem of a tree trunk and we are relying on the materials that are injected to move between xylem and phloem to, to be effective in, in the phloem. And um, some other things that need to be um, um, made clear is that we, we likely require some um, pressure to inject materials. It's very, um, in our preliminary studies, we have found that uh, any materials cannot passively move. So we have to require some pressure to get things in, into the tree and make them move throughout the, the whole trunk. It makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Well, this is exciting news. Uh, again, Dr. Uta Albrecht, plant physiologist at UF IFAS. I appreciate the time. Okay. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.